Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast, powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk, and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing Cody Fajardo apologizing for criticizing his receivers. Kenny Lawler being arrested for impaired driving. Saskatchewan signing Duke Williams. Shane Ray returning to the Argos front. And Sawyer Bittner becoming an internet sensation. But first, Dunkster... Breaking news, Wednesday morning, 6.30 Chad Radio in Edmonton fired Eddie Steele for his comments on the Rod Peterson show that were highly critical of general manager Brock Sunderland. Your thoughts? First of all, this is completely bogus. And we'll just talk about the radio station first and foremost, because you hire Eddie Steele to give opinions on the team and obviously what he sees with his eyes on game day as well. But as a secondary supporting factor to that, clearly the Edmonton football team or the Edmonton Elks organization put pressure on their main rights holder in terms of radio game broadcasts to let Steele go. And if you just look at this timeline, anybody can see Critical comments made about Sunderland steal that go very soon after that you have an idea who's behind this. You absolutely do. And and I'll say this. Uh, if anybody wants to look up the Barbara Streisand effect, the Barbara Streisand effect is essentially a phenomenon whereby trying to silence criticism, all you end up doing is drawing more attention to it. And had the Elks not done anything with this commentary had they just ignored Steele's comments I don't think everybody would be talking about them on a Wednesday morning all they've done in my view is taken a big old magnifying glass and shoved it right in front of this criticism because guess what everything Steele said was on point but when he said it earlier in the week I didn't see or hear or read a lot about it we posted off of it the, the hype you know, built a little bit from there, and now it's all anybody's talking about. If you're the Elks, you should have seen this coming. This was a mistake. 
You should have just lived with it. And a lot of what Steele said were just facts, right? He is a guy that played in the CFL for a number of years, four of them spent in Edmonton. He won a great cup with the green and gold in 2015, albeit under a different regime, which I'm sure the current regime does not like. But Steele has connections to that city, to that community, to that team. He still knows players that are on the roster. And to bring him in as an analyst, that's why you want him in there, because he can give you a unique perspective. But clearly, the team did not like it when he gave a pointed analytical take on what he feels like is plaguing a team that is two and five last place in the West division, a team that was supposedly supposed to be loaded up for a potential gray cup run and off season paper champions, let's call them. And it's easy when things are going well for you, you know, especially in the off season to pound up your chest and say, Hey, we're going to be really good. But when the actual season happens, the true character has shown now through for the Edmonton football team, in my mind. Yeah, this is a team that is currently less than the sum of their parts. This is a team that was a popular pick, you know, before the season to to host a playoff game. I, I picked them to be number one in the West, which, frankly, I'm embarrassed by at this point. You know, <laughs> they, well, I mean, this team on paper looks great, but I, I think everything that Steele said is on point. He said, yeah, this team does not appear whatsoever to be playing for each other this looks like a team with a disgruntled locker room i'm paraphrasing to an extent i would encourage everybody to go read what eddie Steele actually said but everything he said was on point and i'm going to say this too i'm not i don't want to you know sound like uh, you know three down nation has all the answers and three down nation is the greatest thing on the planet that would be you know very narcissistic of me but i will say for anyone out there we know that the hardcore readership of our site listens to the show we are fully independent we are not beholden to any team we are not beholden to any individuals we report the facts and when we give opinions and analysis it is what we actually think and say and guess what we're not beholden to anybody if they don't like those opinions if they don't like that analysis yeah they can pick up the phone and let us know but it's not coming down off the site because it's on point. That's what we do. And I'm proud to be an independent organization for that reason. Well said, buddy. And this is where it gets interesting in the sense of covering the league overall, because I really believe that, you know, the players or the teams or the organizations, I'm not saying they control what we write, but if you win, it's going to be positive stories. When you lose, that's not going to be the case. And then when you lose with issues continually cropping up, a COVID outbreak, the way that you talk about players when you're doing media availabilities, the way that you treat players and your staff behind the scenes, when that stuff comes out that you've done and you want to try to muzzle people, as you mentioned off the top, Hodge, People are going to look into it more. And now that Steele has said this and this situation has happened with him being let go from 630 Ched, there are going to be even more reporters wondering, all right, Steele had to have been right because the franchise is so upset with him speaking his mind that we need to dig into this and find out more of what's going on behind the scenes there. Because clearly that team is talented. You mentioned it, Hodge. You picked them to win the West based on the talent. But like it or not, they are not playing at a high level. And to me, that falls on the coaching staff and also the management because the players 
I would imagine, and this is my opinion, don't feel like they're in a situation that is beneficial for them. We got to move on, Dunkster, but I got one more point I want to make, and this is, you know, I grew up loving the CFL. I grew up in Winnipeg. I grew up a Bombers fan, and over the last, you know, seven or so years, I've transitioned to media, but even when I was a fan and I was a season ticket holder diehard, I never wanted to listen to somebody just, you know, polish the home team so to speak i wanted people to be critical i wanted people to be analytical because if you love a team or you love a league don't you want it to be the best that it could possibly be that was always my view i i grew up loving the bombers but i held them to a high standard i expected them to be the best version of the bombers they could be now i was a fan through the late 90s and the early 2000s so they were terrible almost every year but the point was i wanted people to be critical so I don't care that Eddie Steele upset the front office. I think the front office should should accept that. And any true fan, in my view, should want that type of analysis and seek that type of analysis out. Because if you're just going to listen to a bunch of yes people, I'm sorry. In my view, that's worthless. Kenny Lawler, the CFL's leading receiver, was suspended by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers after he was arrested early Monday morning for impaired driving. Hodge, did the team handle this the correct way and... Who do you see potentially starting in Lawler's place on Friday? Let's start with the second question. Mike O'Shea was coy, as always, in his media availability on Tuesday about who the starter is going to be. And the Bombers had a closed practice Tuesday, so the media was not there to see who was working with the number ones. That said, I would be stunned if it was anybody other than Naaman Roosevelt, the two-time 1,000-yard receiver who's been practicing with the team for the last five weeks uh, since he signed. So I believe we'll see Roosevelt make his Blue Bomber debut So to answer the first part of the question, I mean, obviously, Kenny Lawler's conduct was inappropriate. Obviously, it's unacceptable behavior, which Mike O'Shea also said in his availability. That said, I do think the Bombers have gone about this the right way. This was not the CFL suspending Lawler. This was the Bombers suspending Lawler. Um, As much as Kenny Lawler had a terrible lapse in judgment, made a horrible mistake and put other people in danger, he did apologize, and he also did the right thing by informing the team quickly, and the Bombers said that they informed the league as quickly as they found out. So obviously I'm not excusing the behavior, completely inappropriate. However, I think everything that's occurred since the arrest has been handled the right way, and I hope that Kenny Lawler smartens up and uses this as an opportunity to bounce back. It was certainly surprising news that came out late Monday night, especially when you consider the season that Lawler is having. You would think that a player would not want to put that in jeopardy at all. Like He's on the verge of becoming a star in this league if he isn't already, and especially the connection that he's developed with Zach Caleros is one that just for me, I could see lasting multiple years there in Winnipeg. But now everybody's going to be watching closely and see what Lawler does moving forward. There are some people, and I would say fairly, that are saying that, hey, A.C. Leonard or even Andrew Harris or some of the other players that have tested positive for performance-enhancing drug or in Leonard's case didn't actually test but still got a two-game suspension, that Lawler should get more for being arrested. Now, there's a key difference here, Hodge, and you and I have talked about this. We haven't heard about any charges yet, so we're still waiting for that part to play out and see if indeed it does go any further down the judicial system, let's say, and maybe that's what the league and the Bombers are waiting for, 
before they potentially discipline Lawler anymore. And you also have to remember that the CFL Players Association is involved in this. And even in a time where everyone wants to say, hey, well, Lawler did wrong and he was putting people in danger, he still deserves to have his side represented. So the PA is going to do that as well to make sure it's not unfair discipline in Lawler's right. So a lot to take in here. It did seem like, I will say, Hodge, that he was remorseful, that it was a sincere apology. That said, it does not condone the decision he made, and hopefully it doesn't happen again in the future. Yeah, and I've read comments from people on social media who have suggested, oh, the Bombers should cut him. By the way, I asked Mike O'Shea that straight up. He said no. At no point did the team consider releasing Kenny. Um, They're more interested in helping Kenny and supporting Kenny and helping Kenny become a better person, a better teammate, um, than than releasing him outright, which I think is fair. Um, And the other thing, you mentioned it. Kenny Lawler has not not even been charged, to my knowledge, and he's certainly not been found guilty. Now, he has talked openly about the fact that he did drive under the influence which is obviously a terrible decision. He acknowledged that. He apologized for that. But in the law, in the eyes of the law, he's yet to be convicted of anything, which is a key distinction, right? We all in our society are entitled to innocent, you know, being considered innocent until proven guilty, even if he is talking about it openly. So I think the Bombers went about this the right way. And, you know, yeah, it's one game compared to two. But the other thing I'd point out is the two-game suspension for testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance is a collectively bargained issue that is in writing between the CFL and the CFLPA. And there's also a big difference between taking a performance-enhancing substance, which is essentially cheating, right? It's cheating to get a competitive advantage over your opponent and poor off-field conduct. Again, I'm not trying to downplay what Lawler did. It's an irresponsible decision. He apologized for it, acknowledged that it was a a very selfish, immature decision. Unacceptable. But it's not like driving impaired makes him a better football player and hurts the teams he's playing against. It just hurts Kenny Lawler. It just hurts the Bombers. Well, and I would argue it puts the community at danger, too, and you mentioned that. And it's an interesting point overall that, you know, it is in the CBA, that automatic two-game suspension for a performance-enhancing drug. So maybe when they're discussing the new CBA, these situations can be put in the CBA and agreed upon that if someone is arrested or charged or what have you, then there are protocols or rules to follow there. We'll see if that happens. Yeah, and, the, and the league does have that, right, for some issues, including domestic violence, right? If you're charged with domestic assault, um, violence against women, that is that is a CFL policy. Something like this, there isn't one. The Bombers handled them handled it themselves, and Mike O'Shea indicated he does not expect further discipline to come from the league. We got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Autumn is in the air. The pumpkins are in the patch. Our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins when you're grooming, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) Make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming in their brand new fourth generation performance package. Boys, get ready for a cuffing season like no other. Ready to take the leap into fall with Manscaped? Join the two million men worldwide using Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20. After trimming the pumpkin patch and whacking the leaves, give your balls a boost and use Crop Reviver Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Get comfy 
on the home and the go this season. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Make your balls a priority this fall. Choose Manscaped, your balls. Well, thank you. Cody Fajardo apologized to his teammates on Tuesday after making some post-game comments that were critical of his receivers. Was his apology necessary? I don't necessarily think his public apology was necessary, but certainly he needed to go and talk to his receivers, and he shared that that's what he did. There was an on-field meeting with the offense after practice on Tuesday, and I think what Fajardo really was apologizing for publicly was his conduct at the end of the game. He was clearly hot at Ricardo Lewis and the situation overall and losing and the circumstances that led up to that. You can understand why he would be frustrated. And everybody's a competitor, right? You want to win. So in the moment, it can get heated. Totally understandable. But it was surprising to see Fajardo essentially call out his receivers and continually talk about their lack of ability to come down with 50-50 football. So I certainly think it was necessary behind the scenes, but the fact that he owned up to it so quickly and realized what he did and didn't just brush this aside, like let's say some other organizations like to do with their wrongdoings, you know, hint, hint, Edmonton and what's gone on with Eddie Steele, right? They don't want people to look at that. Cody Fajardo has embraced it. He started his media availability with an opening statement and at the end of it said, you know, you guys can do whatever you want with this, but the fact that he owned up to it should help. I'm not saying it necessarily will hear all of the ill feelings toward him in that locker room, but it should help the riders get over what he said. Yeah, I, I thought it was it was very well handled by Cody Fajardo, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's never cool to be critical of your teammates in the media. Um, that's probably something that should be kept in the locker room. Um, and that said, I do think Cody Fajardo at this point of his career would be well within his rights to, to tell his receivers, Hey, you guys got to step up your game. But obviously, you know, a media availability post game is not the best place to do that. Um, you know, I, I thought it was classy the way that he apologized. You know, he, he, he said he wanted to set a good example in Saskatchewan. You know, he did not shake hands with the Stampeders after the game. He said he regretted that. You know, he considers himself better than that, better sportsmanship. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's, uh, he's aware that in Saskatchewan he's expected to set a good example as the face of that franchise. And I appreciate that, that he recognizes that and he's, he's going to try to do better in the future. That's right. And that was what really stood out to me is at least he admitted his wrongdoings, which a lot of times does not happen in the CFL. I mean, that's just the sort of league in general, right? They don't like the focus to be on the negative. But Fajardo, I don't want to say necessarily embraced his comments, but he embraced the fact that he upset his teammates. And when you're the quarterback, man, and you're talking about your receivers that go out and fight and battle for you in public... And they're hurt in some type of way. You need to make sure you go to them and make it right. Because they're going to be the dudes going up and making plays for you. And if Fajardo wants to get to a Grey Cup and win one, going to be those same guys that are going up and fighting for the football. Those same riders signed former CFL All-Star receiver Duke Williams and expect him to be in the lineup following their Week 11 bye. Do you think he can recapture his all-league form from 2018? 
Well, I, I hope he does, because frankly, when Duke Williams is playing well, the CFL is a more entertaining, exciting league to watch, right? 6'3", 225, probably the most physically gifted receiver in the league, right? He's, he's essentially Manny Arsenault 2.0, uh, but, but maybe even bigger. That said, I talked to multiple people this week who indicated that they, you know, had, had been in discussion with people in Buffalo or or had even watched the tape, watched watched the film of those practices and and said frankly he didn't look very good. He looked slow. He was the weakest receiver in camp. Um and he 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 wasn't playing very well. Uh, does that mean he's not going to be successful in the CFL? No, because it's easier to gain separation in the CFL when you're playing from the slot and you've got the waggle. Um, so I hope he tears it up. But but clearly, uh, from the folks I talked to, he did not have a great training camp with the Bills in the summertime. Yeah, but you mentioned it. The waggle's different up here. And, you know, the Bills receiving core has gotten markedly better since he showed up there in 2020? 2019. Or 2018? 2019. 19. So that's right. After the CFL All-Star season in 2018. So... That, I think, is a key difference, right? So it's one thing to say now that he was a worst receiver in that core versus when he showed up there in 2019. So I still think he has the ability to be an outstanding receiver in the CFL. Is it fair to expect him to produce at the level that he did when he was in Edmonton with Mike Riley, Michael Riley, excuse me, throwing him the football and in the Jason Moss offense? No, because it's going to take some time to develop a rapport with Cody Fajardo. But the intriguing part to me is that you know, we talked about in the last point that Fajardo was apologizing for calling out his receivers. Well, Fajardo also said that he knew that the Riders were working on signing Williams for about a month. So <laughs> maybe he just wanted to get the team to get the deal done. That's possible. But I'll, I'll say this too. And again, I'm rooting for Duke Williams. I want Duke Williams to succeed. But I also feel like we've seen a pattern of players who don't play well when first returning to the CFL from the NFL. I'm not talking about a guy who goes to the NFL, gets cut, is a free agent for a couple of years, and then comes north. I'm talking about guys who go almost straight from an NFL training camp and then come north, right? Weston Dressler did this, was no good, right, after coming back from the NFL. He was great the next year, but he had that NFL camp body because in the NFL, you just have to carry more weight than you do in the CFL. Andy Fantuz, the same thing happened. Uh, if you want to look at a guy like uh, even even a super recent example, Derek Moncrief, right? What has he done since returning to the Elks? Has he looked like 2019 Derek Moncrief? The answer is no. I'm not saying Derek Moncrief's never going to be a great player again, but what I am saying is it's tough to go straight from an NFL camp into a CFL starting lineup. They are two different games. They're two different leagues. It's tough to be in one system, one body, and immediately be successful the next. So I think the odds are stacked against Williams a little bit from that perspective, but I hope he's able to make a strong impact there because, man, he's fun to watch when he's at his best. Dunkster. The BC Lions have reportedly signed free agent receiver Devere Posey after he was released by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Is that a big deal? It is in the sense, most importantly, because Lucky Whitehead is going to be out two to four weeks with a broken hand. And man, I was stunned that he even tried to come back in that game. I get it. He wants to be courageous. He wants to be tough. But what if he takes another shot on that broken hand and heaven forbid it comes off, like it severs yeah. from his body or damages 
whatever else is in there. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor, but that to me is why it was shocking that he came back in the game. And I get that, you know, sometimes that's the player's decision. So we can't necessarily say, oh, the medical staff let him back into the game. But that was a little, you know, nerve wracking for me. So the fact they go out and get Posey to try to replace some of that speed, I said, try to. He's not going to be as fast as Whitehead, but Posey's a field stretcher, just couldn't get healthy in Hamilton. And they felt like they had some younger players that were more comfortable with the quarterbacks they had there, like Tim White and Pappy White and Stephen Dunbar Jr. So people were shocked to see Posey released because he's a big name. But when you actually look at the situation in Hamilton, it makes sense because he hadn't had the on-field reps with Jeremiah Masoli, Dane Evans, and we should mention David Wofford. Yeah, and Posey is kind of one of the guys who fits into that mold I was just talking about. He was in camp with the Baltimore Ravens in 2018, came north, actually signed with BC, and didn't put up a ton of production. He only had 29 catches in eight games. For reference, in the previous season, the same season he was named Grey Cup MVP with the Argos, he put up 52 receptions in 12 games. So, you know, he's putting up four and a half, five receptions a game. He comes to BC and he puts up three, three and a half, and, and did not look like the same deep threat that he was in Toronto. So I hope Posey, for his sake, has a better second run with BC than he did his first. Here's the thing I thought about Whitehead. And like you, Dunkster, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to suggest this, that, or the other thing because I don't know, right? I'm not a doctor. But one thing I do know is football. And to me, it sends a bad message to the rest of your roster when you're telling your backup receivers, hey, Lucky Whitehead is better with one hand than you are with two. Like, have some faith in your backups. Play your backups. Because Lucky Whitehead, it was obvious, right, from the way that that hand wasn't working for the way it was bandaged up. He's not going to be able to make the catches you need, and especially if he meets Brandon Alexander again over the middle, who's playing lights out from the safety position. Great point, buddy. To T.O., Shane Ray will start for the Argos this week after returning from injury with Charleston Hughes moved to a backup role. Do you think it's justified, Hodge? Well, let's be honest. Charleston Hughes, yes, he's put up two sacks over his last two games. But if you actually watch the sacks, I think they would be considered more coverage sacks than necessarily him beating opposing offensive tackles. Ray only has one tackle on the season. He's been out most of the year with a finger hand injury. But uh, to me, Ray looked great week one when the Argos played their opening game. Um, Charleston Hughes has been awfully quiet. And so, yeah, despite the salaries, despite, you know, the fact that Hughes is a future Hall of Famer, I'm not going to disrespect his body work. Charleston Hughes has been amazing. But I also think it's only fair to acknowledge Charleston Hughes is showing some signs of age. He has not looked like the Charleston Hughes of past years. And I can certainly see why the Argos want to get other guys some more reps uh, from the first string of the defense. There have certainly been flashes from Hughes, and a lot of people always focus on that sack total or the category. That doesn't always necessarily tell the story. Pressures are very important as well, and also players can draw double teams, and if they're really good, like let's say Micah Johnson is prime, maybe triple teams on the inside. But certainly Hughes has not played at the level that he was at in 2019. And it was interesting to me because he admitted going into training camp that he was using that, you know, to get back into football shape. And he almost kind of hinted at that maybe he should have been working out more during the pandemic, but he had to put food on the table for himself, right? And his family and make sure that they were taken care of. So it's 
intriguing to me, and I'm curious to watch how every single player handed the handled the pandemic a guy like we just talked about lucky whitehead clearly had been training came back with a burst even more juice potentially than he had showed during his time in winnipeg but then you have a guy like hughes and there are some others around the league that haven't performed up to expectations so pandemics changed a lot of things in this world it's also changed the career trajectories of players in the league absolutely and here's here's my bottom line if you were to say to me you know you know, at any point over the last 10 years, hey, you can have two defensive ends in the CFL who you take, and Charleston Hughes is one of them every single time. If you said to me right now, hey, you can take any six, Charleston Hughes would not be in that group, and that's the first time in a long time he wouldn't be considered an, uh, you know, a true top-tier pass rusher in this league. we got to take a quick break, Dunkster. When we come back, it'll be time for Hodges' Heritage Moment. On this day in 2013, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers traded defensive end Alex Hall and a second-round draft pick to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in exchange for offensive lineman Patrick Newfelt and a fourth-round draft pick. Hall helped the Riders win a great cup at home before departing for the NFL the following winter, while Newfelt became a mainstay along Winnipeg's offensive line and remains a starter for them at guard. Dunkster, I don't know about you, but this, to me, is one of the rare trades that is truly a win-win for both clubs. You know, that phrase gets said a lot right after the trade is made. Oh, I think it's a win-win for our organization and the team that we traded to. Come on, man. We got to stop having those bogus quotes because <laughs> if you think it's a win-win, you should not be in this competition business. But I re- would agree. That's one of the rare times. Now, the Riders, I mean, I'm sure the Riders would be happy to have Patrick Newfeld still. He's a home hometown player right but you know they need they didn't have the option of losing that game to the tie cats alex hall helped them get there he helped them win that game where and patrick newfelt again he's been a mainstay forever in winnipeg's offensive line so i i think that's a win-win hodge we were just talking about win-wins well i feel like you get a double win when you go to jiffy lube because you're in and out in a jiffy need an oil change need to freshen up the fluids what have you get in now there in 15 minutes guaranteed and you're back on the road. Absolutely. And speaking of Jiffy Lube, they're powering our next segment, the three-minute drill. Here we go. Regina Rams quarterback Sawyer Bittner became an internet sensation following his sideline interview with Daniela Ponticelli, which featured his bloody nose. Not bad for a small-town kid from Moose Jaw. It was epic, man. I was in the booth doing color along with my play-by-play boy Darren Dupont on that game. He was literally spitting blood all over Daniela. We had to get her a towel after to clean up, but that was epic, man. He got his nose ripped open while he was scoring a touchdown on a quarterback sneak. Gotta love it. Trevor Harris is set to return to the lineup this week against Edmonton, but will he actually help the Elks beat the Bombers? Is that possible? I don't know. I want Eddie Steele's opinion. The Ottawa Red Blacks are finally out of the bottom spot of Three Down Nation's power rankings. Is that a sign of things to come? It is, man. With Edmonton being a dumpster fire right now, all (laughs) things considered, you know, except for the talent they got there. Yes, I think they can stay out of the bottom. McLeod Bethel Thompson will make his second consecutive start for the Argos. Can he lead them to another win and become the unquestioned starter for them? Yes on the first one, no on the second. I still think Nick Arbuckle 
is just more dynamic. The Argos cut linebacker Vontae Diggs after just one start. Is that a surprise? Some people were surprised by this, and I don't really like that he didn't get a chance to have a longer run, maybe as a starter there or to work his way in. But the defense has been overhauled, and that move would have had some influence, at least if not completely made by one. Winnipeg Jets head coach Paul Maurice said he single-handedly won the Blue Homers the Grey Cup. Is that true? Evidently, Paul Maurice isn't just a little stitious, he is superstitious. <laughs> Gary Peters successfully appealed his suspension, turning it into a fine. Your thoughts? Well, I'm sure AC Leonard is wishing that he did the same. That's all I'm saying that. The Riders had more injuries than any other team in the first half of the season. How much of a disadvantage is that? I mean, it is and it isn't. I mean, as I've talked to more people about it, yeah, they have carried a fair number of healthy players on the one-game injured list, which, by the way, is totally legal. It's not cap circumvention because players on the one-game still count against the salary cap. Their numbers are quite inflated, however, on the sixth game because of all the early injuries they suffered. So I still think it's a disadvantage, maybe not as much as it is on face value. Finally, Three Down Nation would like to extend its sincerest condolences to the family and friends of Scott Nalyuks, who passed away suddenly this past week at the age of 29. The Winnipeg native was a receiver for the Winnipeg Rifles and University of Manitoba Bisons and recently served as the Bison receivers coach. He also spent a decade coaching at St. Paul's High School in Winnipeg, which was his alma mater. Rest in peace. I'll see you folks next week for another episode of the Three Down Nation podcast. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.